Ever thought of being a correctional officer, but not sure you'd qualify? Listen up. Be at least 19 with no age cap. Already a social worker? Social workers make great COs. No previous experience? That's okay. We'll train you. Full-time positions come with excellent health, dental, and life insurance, a pension, and other benefits of a state job. If you believe people can overcome the worst chapters in their life, then you've got the right stuff to be a correctional officer with the Hamden County Sheriff's Office. Visit hcsoma.org to join the team today. The ideas and opinions expressed in this show do not reflect the views of WHMP or Saga Communications. This show may contain subject matters not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace. Amelia Earhart. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and each week we're here to share stories, not just from currently or formerly justice-involved individuals, but also those people who might be considered underdogs in the game of life, and we all know them. I'm here along with my producer, Leah, to shine a light on their struggles, their successes, but also the powerful resources and opportunities available for those who are really hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So join us each week as we unlock people's future, rewrite their story. This is The Hustler Files. Welcome, everyone, to this week's The Hustler Files. Today's guest joining us in studio is Jacqueline Velez. Now, I'm going to read you some of her bio because she really has quite an interesting resume. Jacqueline has over 14 years of advocacy and organizing experience uh, with the Project Assist for the Women in Prison Project of the Correctional Association of New York. She held that position for five years. She was the first ever communications and social media associate for them. During that time, she also was co-host of the Criminal Justice and Prison Report on WBAI Pacifica Radio. So she is not new to the studio that we are sitting in today. Jacqueline also relocated to Massachusetts in 2015 from New York and became Holyoke's lead organizer for the Neighbor to Neighbor Education Fund. During that time, she served as a regional organizing director for a U.S. Senate re-election campaign. She was a racial justice organizer for Massachusetts Jobs with Justice. She was a biopic organizer for the Fair Share Amendment ballot campaign. Jacqueline holds an arts associate degree from Bard Holyoke Micro College, and she's been recently featured in the documentary Finding the Words from Voices from Inside. She currently works at the Public Health Institute of Western Mass and lives in Springfield with her two children. Wow, that is quite a resume. Jacqueline, welcome to this week's The Hustler Files. Thank you for having me. Now, I read your bio up front because I wanted our listeners to hear what an amazing and impressive background you have. But I think, like in all of our stories, we need to start at the beginning, and your beginning didn't start off as robust and rosy as your life has turned out, did it? Not at all. I grew up in Bushwick, Brooklyn in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, um, you know, the crack epidemic was going on as well as the AIDS epidemic. And both had the neighborhood 
upside down, for lack of a better term. So I saw a lot of my friends' parents addicted to drugs and beg their children for money. And we were literally in junior high school. We were still kids. Um, so by the time I was 16, um, I had been a straight-A student up until then, but I dropped out of school, and I started really being in the streets, and I sold drugs for the first time. By the time I was 17, I served my I served some time in Rikers Island. Um, I ended up getting into a really bad fight. Uh, thankfully, I didn't have to do time then, but I did end up doing time when I turned 28 for the same thing. So you were initially incarcerated at 17. Did you serve any amount of time then, or was it just a quick in and out? I was there for a couple of weeks. Um, they thought that I was going to end up doing time. My lawyer did not see a way out of it, but um, they did end up finding a way to frame it so that it would show that it was in self-defense. And so I was let, you know, I was let go. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know this at the time, but in New York, at 16 years old, you're criminally responsible for any criminal activity you engage in. So I was charged as an adult, and that fo has followed me throughout my life. Wow, I didn't know that either, and I know that every state has their own laws and, and justice programs. So you became reincarcerated at, at 28 years old, and you say that you were incarcerated at that time for many months. Um, what was that like, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit? How was it? Were you in a, a strictly female-based correctional institute? Actually, Rikers Island um, is primarily uh, filled with men. They have a building for the women, but there are many buildings for the men. And it's called Rosie, Rose M. Singer Center. We called it Rosie's House. Um, in the hood and at that time when I went I I thought my life was over because I had seen many of my friends go in and out of jail and struggle with all the barriers placed once you have a felony conviction so I was crying for like the first three weeks until a counselor slapped the hell out of me and told me you need to clean it up or they're going to eat you up and I I felt that. So I actually just started working. I worked four jobs while I was there. I worked in the officer's bubble, which is the officer's office. I worked in the visiting room. I worked in the tailor shop, and I also worked in the bakery to kind of make time go by as quickly as possible. Uh, my daughter was eight years old at the time, and I did not want her to visit me there, but they asked me, can she come visit you? Because she cries every single day for you. She did come, you know, to visit me once. Um, and because I worked in the visiting room, the officer extended our visit to three hours. Everyone's visit on Rikers Island is only one hour. But I worked for her. She saw that my daughter was snuggled up to my neck and was not ready to go. Hmm. Um, so it was hard. It was very difficult. But I feel like my transformation began there. While there, I end up in solitary confinement for about 20, 21 days. And I feel like something clicked while I was in 23-hour lockdown. Um, 
It was very inhumane. I felt like Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter because you had to be shackled to go to the shower, which was a cage with a slot. And you would put your hands through that slot and then they would uncuff you to shower. Your shower could be anywhere from five to ten minutes. The officer would come back in. You had to get reshackled and escorted by multiple officers back to solitary confinement. That for me was the hardest time I've ever spent in my life. I never was alone and to be forced to be alone with your own thoughts, no phone, no people to speak with. Um, it was really hard. I, I think a chaplain would come by once a day just to make sure we didn't hang ourselves. Um, and uh, the mental health was real. And I realized that while I was there, I would hear the women crying all night, yelling, um, begging to be let out. But once you were there, you had to serve the time in the jail that's in the jail. Um, so it was just very difficult. And I feel like my daughter's visit is what changed things for me because the fact that she had to go through a magnometer and get searched at eight years old and see me in a jumpsuit was very hard for me. And I, I wanted to make sure that when I came out that I made her proud because that was definitely my worst moment ever. So what year were you released from Rikers? 2004. I served six months and then five years of probation. The five years of probation helped me straighten myself out and figure out what were my next moves because I had been a medical receptionist for eight years and I really hated it. And I felt like they funneled like Latina women into the medical field, but it just wasn't for me. Um, and then I, I, I started to volunteer for different organizations and I, I met this woman that was formerly incarcerated who was the director of the Women in Prison Project and I volunteered my butt off for her. I even traveled almost three hours to and from the, the, the organization and six months in they hired me and that began my journey into having a crime-free uh, contributing member of society life began, <laughs> so to speak. That's an amazing journey. I've talked to other formerly incarcerated individuals who um, were sent to solitary. And so my heart goes out to you because I've heard their stories over the years. And it really is an inhumane way for anyone to be treated. Were you allowed any writing materials or books or anything while you were in confinement? I believe they allowed you to have two books and paper and pen, but I'm a writer. I'm a poet. So I was running out of ink faster than you can imagine. I mean, like in two or three days, my ink was gone and I'm saving my fruit from the meals to trade it for a pen. So that's what I had to do to get more ink. Wow. Um, yeah, I've heard some crazy stories myself. Um, over the years, as I've just mentioned. So let's fast forward you because you've done an extraordinary job in changing your life. Were there re-entry programs for you and services once you left Rikers before you went to work for the Women in Prison Project? When I went to jail, I had an apartment. 
I had a Section 8 apartment. At the time, I was unemployed, so my rent was like $60 or something like that. So I paid my rent for the time that I was going to be in prison in order not to lose my housing. And um, because of that, when I came home, I already had an apartment, which is one of the things that people have to deal with. So I didn't have to deal with that. And unfortunately, I told my daughter to keep me going to jail a secret because I was so scared of losing her. I fought very hard when she was born to keep her in my custody because her father was murdered. And I was afraid that his family would take her from me because I was in a shelter and on welfare. Um, so I refused after having her for eight years to lose her at that point. Um, so I didn't have to overcome as many barriers as people usually do. And my my sentence was short compared to other folks. I didn't fight the case because they told me you would be in upstate New York for years. And I just couldn't do that to my daughter. She lost her father. I was the only person she had. So I did what I had to in order to keep her. Um, and I found that the reentry programs that did exist were more like training to be an advocate for the people you left behind. I didn't really find too much uh, services that could help me, but I did. And this is a crazy thing for me to be saying, but I actually had a really good probation officer who worked with me. And when he saw that I was putting in the work, he accommodated me. So let's say he had to come to do a house visit he would put me first on his list and he'll come see me at 730. We shared a cigarette and he'd leave. <laughs> and then I'd go about going to my trainings and my you know, appointments and group therapy and all those kinds of things. So you did create a village for yourself that was supportive of your coming back into society and helping you move forward to let go of the past and not relive it well it took me almost five years to to secure employment with that very well-known organization and i felt so honored i became addicted to my job and that to me is what kept me from um going back and doing things that i felt desperate to do i also realized when i was selling drugs or doing anything criminal activity, I thought I was doing it to better the, my daughter's life. But I realized that was not the way, even though that's all I saw my entire life, either people selling drugs or taking drugs, I realized that the fight was to do the opposite. It's never ceases to amaze me, um, these stories, but especially what you just said about you know, you were working for this project, you became very passionate about it, and you just wanted to do more and more and more, and you became sort of in that workaholic mode. And I'm a firm believer in that. When you're doing something that you really love and you're really passionate about, it's it not work. You. It drives you. Yeah, it's not work. It, it, it's not work at all. All right, Jackie, um, we need to take a quick break. So if you could hang out with us a little bit longer, we'll be back in a few minutes. Listeners, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back with more of The Hustler Files.
You became an RN, LPN, mental health clinician, counselor, or recovery professional because you believe in the value of wellness, treatment of disease, and prevention of illness. And that also means that you have the right stuff to join the medical and mental health care team at the Hamden County Sheriff's Office. Making the world a better place takes a village, and even more so with justice-involved individuals. So why not consider dedicating your next career move to changing countless lives for the better? Visit hcsoma.org. That's hcsoma.org to join the team today. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. If you're a college student interested in learning about the field of criminal justice, the Hampshire Sheriff's Office would like to talk to you about our summer intern program. Your internship will matter, not just to the clients we serve, but also to the people of Hampshire County who rely on us to protect public health and safety. Interested in making a difference? Please visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, and submit an application online or call 413-584-5911 and ask for our HR department. Welcome back to this week's The Hustler Files. If you're just joining us, we have here in studio today, Jacqueline Velez. And Jacqueline has had an amazing journey so far in life. She's on the right side of the law these days. And I had the chance to meet Jacqueline a few weeks back at an event that was hosted by Voices from the Inside, which is the group that we featured a few weeks back on another show. And just to give you a reminder, uh, Voices from Inside is an organization that connects the world to resilient women, just like Jacqueline, who fight their way through their own writing, and they rewrite their story about incarceration. So Jacqueline, once again, welcome back to The Hustler Files. Thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. So we're going to jump in here because we're not going to have a ton of time left. But the reason I asked Jacqueline, one of the reasons I asked Jacqueline to join us today is that I had heard her read a poem that she wrote. And Voices from Inside is all about encouraging these wonderful women to write about their experiences, either through what they've been through, through recovery or incarceration. Uh, either they are still incarcerated. Jacqueline is post-incarceration for many years now. But there was a poem of hers called Window Panes that was really heartfelt and touching. And I wanted her to share that on today's show. So Jacqueline, if you could take it away. Kids running around this damn house screaming. Dogs right behind them, their screams don't drown out the barking. I'm staring out the window daydreaming. School assignments are piling, work is stacking, child's father's slacking. Sink full of dishes, still to do, cook, laundry, mop, and sweeping. Unanswered wishes, bathroom door locked, don't want the kids to hear my sobs or see me weeping. No whining and dining, no one's coming up the wretched tower. No Prince Charming. World has become too heavy to be carried, running in place. Where are you going, Mommy? I'm looking out this window for the dreams I've lost, but this is where I'm tarried, unhappy, unfulfilled, unmarried. You can be anyone you want to be. You can do anything you can imagine. You can too, so why you cry, Mommy? Baby, I'm trying. Mama's dreams and soul are slowly dying. Even with this gloom, I see the birds are flying, flocking together, coming into formation, such a freedom and liberation, an affirmation, sort of everything will be all right confirmation, their wings subtly filling me with inspiration. Hope is that thing made of a feather, 
Tomorrow's weather will be better. If it rains, I'll be sure not to linger by the window. Guess that's why they call them window panes. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, when did you write that? I wrote that in 2020 when I was working on the U.S. Senate campaign and around the time that Oprah called. Um, so wait, I, wait, hold on. Wait a minute. Rewind <laughs> a second. Oprah called? Yeah, they wanted um, a perspective of a person that was formerly incarcerated because a lot of people were stating during the pandemic, we're in jail. It's like we're in jail. No, you're not because you have access to your hug and kiss your kids you can open your fridge you can eat whatever you want so that wasn't true but i was working on the essay um i worked on an essay about solitary confinement and and, in school when i was at bard micro college and so i condensed it to fit their criteria for the essay and i submitted it and it was published in may 2020 as i also was graduating that's wonderful. Did you get any feedback from Oprah herself? No. No, but um, I kind of have a contact to send a manuscript to, so hopefully I'll be able to do that in the future. That's wonderful. So you wrote Window Panes in 2020 during the pandemic, and um, how deeply involved are you now in Voices from Inside? Well, we were featured on in the documentary uh, created by Alexandra Wagman, a professor from Holyoke Community College. We've done some screenings. Um, we've done some readings and Q&A. I used to write with them weekly, but I am adjusting to a new job. Um, I also have a side project that I'm working to gather resources for a reentry guide with the Women's Fund of Western Mass. Um, so I don't uh, go to weekly writings uh, but I look forward to doing so in the near future um, but we're still involved and we have a legislative uh, meeting in June where we're going to speak to legislators from the region about criminal justice reform and legislation and that's something that's very close to your heart correct it is and it is something I don't get paid to do right for the most part I do that because I need to feed my writing the writing uh, part of me that that needs to do that but it's it's very therapeutic for me so it helps me you know it might be a selfish thing in a way but um i do love to do that that is my first love well i think writing is very therapeutic and if anyone that writes the way you do has found that to be the therapy you needed to change your life then I say just keep writing as much <laughs> as you can, poetry, stories, what, whatever that is. The reentry guide, um, and we'll have to bring you back once you get that launched, I've always been a big proponent of a resource that is at its core about all of the great other resources that provide reentry to formerly incarcerated or just underdogs in the game of life. I don't think there is one cohesive piece of publication and I've always said that I thought there should be whether it's state by state or across the country or by region so I applaud you for doing that because a reentry guide would be something that I think is most needed in pretty much any state uh, across across the U.S. So before we close today, because I know we're going to run out of time any second, Leah is going to raise her hand at me and say <laughs> we are out of time. Um, 
I think we all have life assignments and sometimes they change, um, but I know that we all have them or we're all working towards them. What do you think your life assignment at this point in your life has been or or is? I want to say for the last 14 years or so, it is to go back, reach your hand out and help somebody else up. And I still do that. I do that on a daily basis. I pay f- pay it forward because I've had many people help and support me since i've come to massachusetts this is the first time i had a supportive network in many different organizations and they vary from professors to executive directors and i'm like wow like i did that i don't know how but whenever i am in a position to help someone else i do that um whether it's a bus card they might need and they'll say hey i'll pay you back when i get my money i'm like no pay it forward help somebody else that needs it when you see that That's wonderful. And uh, thank you again for showing up today and being so courageous uh, to share your personal story. It it will inspire others. It it will be a change maker in in activating change and how people think about people who are formerly incarcerated, especially women. And of course, Jacqueline, we wish you all the best as you continue your personal journey. And we really hope it is filled with so much love and light because I can see it in you sitting here and I think you deserve it all. Thank you so much. And please keep highlighting these issues because it will help someone else. And that's part of the reason I speak on it because there's a lot of shame, right, behind being incarcerated. But I see now how that can help others. It can help legislators, right, legislate. (laughs) Um, So I'll speak up any chance I get. That's wonderful. And uh, we will have you back because I have a feeling there's a lot more inside of you to, to share with us. So listeners, hang tight. Don't touch that dial. We'll be back in a minute to wrap up this week of The Hustler Files. More to come. Do you have a background in social work or recovery coaching? Hampshire Sheriff's Department is looking to enhance our evolving correctional services. This is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. If you're looking for a career helping people, the Hampshire Sheriff's Office is hiring. Make a difference. Visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, and submit an application online. Or call 413-584-5911 and ask for the HR department. We are back. And to close out this week's conversation, today's final thoughts are from author Alex L. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but your peace and purpose are important. Every step you take, even if you feel lost, is leading and guiding you. Do not lose sight of how far you've traveled in this life. I know that every path hasn't been beautiful. I know that some days it feels hard to walk through the sandy parts of the journey. Release the idea that your pain needs to speak for you. Yes, it can have a voice and take up space, but your pain isn't the leader of your path. Love is. And that's a wrap for today. It is my most ardent hope that the stories and changemakers we share each week release not only limiting beliefs, but they create impactful conversations and activate change because change can only happen when we know the truth. Once again, a huge weekly thank you to our producer, Leah, and of course, all of our guests and advertisers for their support. 
You can find this show and all of our shows on the WHMP.com podcast site or wherever you find any of your favorite other podcasts. If you'd like to reach out to me with any questions or comments or even guests that you'd like to hear on the show, you can email me at lisa at whmp.com. Please have a wonderful week ahead. And remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. See you next week right here on The Hustler Files. (laughs) 